Well, let's get into a couple of things uh, with uh, Dr. Holland Ullman. You know him well. His latest book, The Fifth Horseman, The New Man. Oh, massive attacks of disruption became the looming existential danger of my nation and the world at large. He's got some great pieces. One came out, I believe, yesterday. We'll get into that. If you haven't read it, always a pleasure. Dr. Ullman, it is good having you, sir. How are you? Holland? They always good to be back. Yeah, you can there hear you me? Go. Yep, I got you now, my friend. It's, it's good to be back, and thank goodness you weren't taking an airline today because the FAA computers broke, making a point about how massive attacks of disruption are alive and well. <laughs> thinking that, you and I are thinking alike in that. Can you imagine that? The flag's delayed till 9 o'clock. Every one of them folks across this country, uh, right on the heels, hauling of that uh, disgraceful performance of Southwest Airlines over the holidays. I mean, my goodness. Absolutely. We share, no? And if you want to be a terrorist and you want to take America down, I think I would be focusing on the FAA computers and also all the traffic regulatory systems throughout the cities of America. Anyway, you want to talk about Joe Biden, no doubt, and this uh, classified information issue. And I will start by the tongue-in-cheek observation because this is really an apples and oranges issue that most Americans will not understand. But Saturday Night Live and the late night comics are going to be talking about how Biden and Trump could be wearing orange jumpsuits sharing the same cell. Uh, I make some small light out of this, but it's very, very serious. And unfortunately, the Republicans are going to use this, obviously, as a way to hit Biden over the head. But what your listeners need to know is that the two conditions are absolutely night and day. The reason that Mr. Trump got into trouble <clears throat> was because he obstructed returning <clears throat> the document. <clears throat> he believed that the documents belonged to him. Um, what happened with President Biden is that as soon as the attorneys discovered that these documents were there and how they got there, nobody knows, they were returned. And so that is a huge difference, but it may be a difference without distinction, because clearly the headlines will read, President Biden and President Trump had classified documents they shouldn't have, and that's against the law. So this will become a political mess, and my sense is that it probably ends up to be an exaggeration of what President Biden did. But unfortunately, in politics, no good deed goes unpunished, and I think this could be an issue. Listen, I think it could be an issue as well, uh, especially when it comes to Trump. You know, I mean, you talk about a lifeline of yep. some proportions, uh, all in my estimation, handed to Trump regarding this, these 10 classified U.S. government documents uh, in the Biden link think tank. Uh, all in all, I mean, there are some similarities here. I mean, listen, you could certainly make the case if the mishandling of Trump regarding these materials represented a threat to national security. Well, what about Joe Biden? You can make that case. Uh, you're, that's the issue. You're, you're, you're absolutely correct. And what is justice going to do? Is it going to move against Trump? And if it does, how then does it rationalize that it can't do the same with President Biden, even though I think President Biden is probably protected the fact that he's a serving president? But no matter, even though the distinctions between what Biden did and Trump did are very, very, very real, politics today, that doesn't make any kind of a difference. So you're right. And the Republicans will hammer this out. You know, how can you deal with President Trump and not deal with President Biden? And I think it becomes a distraction at a time when 
we have too many other more important distractions, whether it's the war in Ukraine or how the 118th Congress is going to deal with debt ceilings, the budget, and all sorts of other issues. But um, uh, this did not come at a very good time for President Biden, whose popularity is quite low. And as you point out, this is a lifeline for President Trump because this could possibly solve his problem. Alan Ullman with us, and especially, I mean, do you think that this whole thing was delayed? I do. As far as post-November uh, the 8th uh, is concerned, I mean, the ramifications on the midterms could have been immense. Yes, we didn't see that so-called wave, but it could have been based on what was discovered here. What about that? No, I think I don't think so. You can obviously make the case, Jay, but I don't think that was that was it. Why that was delayed is a very good question. But if this goes back to the Nixon years, and let me bring up a, a name that people will have forgotten, Donald Segretti, who was in charge of Dirty Tricks, who was out to be able to uh, make sure that the opposition was hurt by all sorts of dirty tricks, is it not possible that some of that information could have been planted? Uh, you can see how that could possibly have happened. I think it's unlikely, but in today's political environment, Virtually anything is possible. Talking with Dr. Holland Allman, I mean, how important with the new Congress, uh, Holland, now in play, will the push be on as far as really uh, getting the DOJ involved, maybe a little Hunter Biden activity, a little more so here? Uh, how could that be against the Biden administration and everything else uh, as far as oh. that regard? How much of a play is that? I think it's going to be huge. Uh, and it's all going to be directed towards 2024. If you uh, liked or disliked the Benghazi hearing several years ago with Hillary Clinton, which was all show because the Republicans did not have a case, I was on the advisory board for Supreme Allied Command of Europe, and there was no way that American military forces or any forces could have been mobilized within 24 hours to get to Benghazi. And there was a good question what the ambassador was doing there in the first place. But they're going to be show trials, <clears throat> and Joe Biden, the White House, are going to be defending the conduct of Hunter Biden. And even if Hunter Biden is not guilty of anything other than being Hunter Biden, the fact that he's made such a mess out of his life with drug addiction, uh, all sorts of other things, uh, cannot, cannot be papered over. So I think the Republicans, from a political view, sadly have a win-win situation simply because the path that Hunter Biden has led, and let's assume that he has done nothing illegal with Burisma or anything else, doesn't make any difference. Uh, what you're getting is uh, a, a cheap Hollywood movie in terms of what Congress will be doing in all those hearings, which will just <clears throat> amplify all the wrongdoings of Hunter Biden, even though he may not have broken any laws. His father, the so-called big guy, Holland Ullman, I mean, there are, you know, tapes that are going to be listened to and whatnot intensely as everything convenes here. Absolutely, Jay, and, and, and nothing is fair in war and politics, and so the Republicans will use everything uh, to try to discredit Joe Biden in terms of trying to win back the Senate in 2024 as well as the White House. So you're going to see a very difficult time, and you alluded to my column today, uh, about will this be the best or worst times for 2023, uh, while there's an opportunity here for great breakthroughs. And I cite that 100 years ago in 1919, after World War I and the Spanish flu epidemic passed, 
and the terrorist incidents that were far worse than 2001 <clears throat> really put the country in panic. We embarked on the greatest economic boom in our history that then crashed in 1929, and the decades later was followed by World War II. So the question is today, will we follow the best of times and worst of times as 100 years ago? And my sense is that I think the pessimists are probably going to win because I think 2023, for all sorts of reasons, is going to be far more difficult than 2022, in part because of the nature of Congress and the, and the divided issues. But the fact of the matter is, whether we're looking at domestic politics or international politics, things are coming to a head in Ukraine with China over Taiwan, China over its COVID policies. And so wherever you look, I think that there are going to be all sorts of opportunities, unfortunately, for greater turmoil. And I can only say I hope I'm wrong. But it doesn't uh, look that way if you're looking at Taiwan now with their latest of solicitations regarding getting uh, individuals into their military. That is not a good sense of keeping peace there, Holland. Well, well, first of all, we've exaggerated the Chinese threat of a Normandy-like invasion of Taiwan. That's not going to happen simply because <clears throat> the Chinese military does not have the amphibious lift to be able to bring in a hundred or 200,000 soldiers for what's called an opposed landing. Uh, there are many, many other ways that China can be able to unify Taiwan, about which we should be sensitive. <clears throat> and in fact, China, or Taiwan, has resisted taking the necessary steps to prevent any kind of an amphibious landing by China because it believes the best way you can deter China is through some kind of offensive actions against the mainland, which I think is wrong. But in any event, our strategy is very much based on a false premise. And so, yes, the issues over Taiwan are likely to be magnified, but quite frankly, uh, the issues within China over COVID and the fact that COVID is going to spread, what is that going to do to the Chinese economy? And what are the implications going to be for global economies that are very much dependent upon China? You could see this potentially sparking a recession uh, that right now appears to be further off than one might have thought. It could be a soft landing, Jay. But if something goes amiss with the Chinese economy, hold on, because that can have very, very serious global consequences. So the issues with China are going to be beyond just Taiwan. They're going to be far more political and economic and dealing with what the impact of COVID will be on that country. And, of course, we'll raise all sorts of questions. Uh, what happened in the lab in Wuhan, and was that in any way responsible? So <clears throat> all these things seem to portend that 2023 is going to be a lot rockier than 2022. Uh, I'll tell you, the disingenuous nature of it all with the president going down to the so-called border in El Paso, <laughs> you know, you really want to visit the border uh, go to Eagle Pass. Go to uh, go to uh, Rio, the, the Rio de Grande. I mean, go to Yuma, Arizona. My goodness. I mean, these are all uh, hot places. If you really want to uh, view what's going on, I'm sorry. Uh, listen, I give him credit. He was actually in El Paso two and a half hours more than Kamala was. Uh, but in essence, is he really going to fix the prob- problem with his latest of proposals? I say no. You know, and, until yeah, you can first off, let's get our uh, let's get our air marshals back in the skies again, please. Uh, I don't know what the heck they're doing down there, but in essence, uh, I'm, I'm not satisfied as far as this visit. Jay, look, let's assume you're advising 
President Biden right now. And you say, look, Mr. President, <clears throat> we have a mess on the border, which everybody knows. And Biden will say, I suspect privately, Jay, you're right, but I can't do anything. I can't do anything because this is up to Congress. And when I was in the Senate, we couldn't fix it then. We can't fix immigration. So am I better off ignoring this or going down to the border and showing weakness because I can't fix it? And I think that politically, the administration said, we'll do less damage to ourselves by ignoring the problem than going down there and highlighting it, knowing we can't fix it. And this applies not just to Biden. The same thing applies to Trump and would apply to any president. But Biden is the president now, and he's stuck with a situation in which, no matter what his decision was, the question is which is going to do least damage to him. Anyway, that's the way I read the situation, because you're right. Any objective observer says, what's going on down there, and why can't we fix it? And the answer is because Congress is not going to agree to the needs for immigration, uh, nearly the, namely the dreamers, what do we do about the kids who were brought here at a very, very young age. And unless we can fix the immigration problem, we can't fix the border. And very simply put, we cannot fix immigration. So this border is a bleeding sore uh, that is just going to go on and on and on and on until possibly uh, we run out of people who want to come to America. Right, 100%. I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you, one guy that has to go, and I spoke to Congressman Andrew Garbarino about this uh, this morning, you know, get rid of this uh, Alejandro Mayorkas. I get the process, impeachment, and everything else. Eyes have to be dotted, T's crossed. This guy is as detrimental uh, to this country as anyone. Anyone that I have seen in recent years, as far as a cabinet member, he's got to go home. Why? What would you do if you were Department of Homeland Security Secretary given the fact that you don't have any tools and Congress is not going to be able to deal with immigration. You're stuck. You're More than stuck. a shill uh, <clears throat> as far as the White House is concerned. I am sorry. Yeah, you can't I, look, lie I agree with you. over and over again. I'm tired of looking at his mug when I go through but... TSA. <laughs> That's how sick I am of this guy. He is a but... liar, a prevaricator. In the worst sense, Holland Allman. Come on now. Well, look, I'm just saying, if you went to that job, could you do a better job? And the answer is no, simply because you don't have the tools. This is an impossible situation. Look, Mayorkas is not impressive. I agree with you, and I'm not defending him. I'm just saying that he's in a position where <laughs> that job is almost indefensible, simply because he cannot have the tools. And by the way, you're right, he is the lightning rod for the administration. And so as long as he draw, draws the ire, as you just expressed, uh, he keeps that away, in part protecting the president. So uh, you can complain all you want, unless Congress can come up with an immigration plan, which it can't. This border situation is a disaster. And part of the worst issue, what do we do about the cartel? What do we do about the drug problem? Now, the simple solution is that we ought to, have people who are not going to be addicted to drugs, but that's not going to happen. And so many people say, look, if we're attacking terrorists in Yemen and Somalia and killing them, are the drug lords not any worse, not any better than these people? And unfortunately, there is a grain of truth in that argument. 
And if the Mexican government is incapable of dealing with it, what do we do? And that's another impossible problem. It's one thing to deal with uh, the lack of government in Somalia or Yemen or else going after terrorists. It's very difficult going after the drug cartels on our southern border uh, simply because Mexico is, uh, is a neighbor. It's vital. And uh, we run into huge legal problems as to what needs to be done. But you're right. The border is a running sore, and unfortunately, we do not have the means of fixing it. But fentanyl killing as many people as it is in this country on a daily basis. I agree. As I put it, the equivalent, I hate to put it, in the way of a plane crash killing about 300 people a day. I mean, this president has done absolutely nothing, at least put stay in Mexico policies before anything else. At least he could have done that way back. And he did not act upon that. Two more quick ones for you before we have to let you go. Santos, George Santos, Ethics Committee will be looking at him with these financials. I said that'll be the final straw. Uh, You can't tell me a $55,000 income and a $705,000 income over a two-year period is in the the right theme here unless you have a scratch-off ticket that I don't know about that kind of made you in that category of wealth. Uh, how dire is it for Santos over the next couple of weeks here? I hope completely dire. Uh, I'll give you two words. Bernie Madoff. There you go. He's got a June 30 Madoff. He's got to go. Period. He needs to go. He needs to go now. There's no question about that. The question is whether the Republicans would grow a backbone and throw this guy out. I gave him a pass. I gave him a little pass on the embellishment as far as, you know, the work and the school, not the not the financials. Can't do it. Sorry, can't do it. One final thing, Ukraine. Yeah. A lot of troops, Hall and Ullman, are set to begin training on this, uh, what's it, the uh, Patriot, Patriot missile Patriot. system. That's what it is in this country. Yeah. It could be. It could happen next. This corner of the Pentagon. And it'll take place somewhere in Oklahoma. U- U.S. is conducting its own training on operating and maintaining the uh, advanced air defense system. They have already trained right. troops in Europe, you know, and you know that. Um, but it's interesting here uh, of how this could really increase the tensions with Moscow further than what it is. You know, Putin has already well, I, yeah. maintained the warning you know, the West, hey, be careful here against further involvement in this war. Uh, yeah, how I, I, I'd make, how more tense can it be with this in play here? It will, uh, it will take six months to train these crews up. Look, I think we've been too cautious in dealing with Russia in terms of worrying about escalation. Putin is not going to use nuclear weapons. And we have to realize right now that the battlefield appears to be shifting back to Russia's favor that the initial victories that took place over the last number of months on the Ukrainian side are much, much slimmer, and the war is now settling back to one of attrition. So I think that there are some very, very real issues here, and I think the United States and the West has one fundamental question. Are we going to continue to equip the the Ukrainians to keep them in the fight, or are we going to give them more equipment so that they can put much greater pressure on Russia to force a negotiation, and I fear it's going to be the former. Ukraine needs more stuff, and it needs it now. It takes time. Six months to train a Patriot crew, 
how long would it take to train up fighter pilots if we're going to send them M1s as well as Bradleys. Those are very, very complicated weapon systems. You just can't land a tank in Ukraine and say, have at it. It's going to take months and months and months. So if we start now, you may be looking at the earliest time for a major Ukrainian offensive, possibly late next year, because it takes time for the logistics. And as we're seeing with Fort Sill and training Patriots, these weapon systems cannot be accomplished in terms of giving the necessary skills to crews overnight. You know, this is not World War II when you turn out an officer as a 90-day wonder. These, this training and logistics takes a long time. So we need to be able to look at this in terms of a longer view, and I don't think we have the right strategy in place to deal with what needs to be done in Ukraine. A distinguished columnist and best-selling author. Always great to have him, Dr. Holland Allman, the fifth horseman, ladies and gentlemen. I recommend it highly. And the new man, how massive attacks of disruption becoming the looming existential danger to a wider nation and the world at large. Until next time, my friend, you stay well, all right? We covered a lot of ground here. You too, James.